we can know this love that surpasses all knowledge. It's not just a guess. You know, we can have confidence and know this. Our faith is not based on speculation or emotion or just a wild guess. The Bible teaches us clearly that we can know these things. And so Paul has spent the last three chapters explaining um, God's truth. Uh, and now he wants us to fully know it, to understand it, to experience it. Um, because God's love is to not only be known, but is to be experienced. You're listening to the Bellevue Baptist Gadsden Podcast. Today's message from our student minister, Brandon Cook, is from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you. Thanks for listening. All right, well, good morning. Uh, it is so good to be here with you this morning. Uh, very thankful for uh, Pastor Cole giving me the opportunity to be uh, here with you this morning. And so um, you can go ahead and be turning in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. That's where we're going to be hanging out together this morning, Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, and so this video you just watched, that is the theme video for Generate Camp. That's the camp that our students will be attending this uh, summer, this week. In fact, we leave on Thursday. Uh, and so the, uh, the theme, so much more, comes from the end of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Uh, and so I am so excited about this passage. I love this passage, and so I'm ready to get into it. So we're just going to dive right into it. And I'm going to pick up in verse 14. So we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14. Uh, it says, uh, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, uh, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So this passage uh, comes in the book of Ephesians at sort of the halfway point. Okay, this is uh, almost the halfway point of the entirety uh, of the letter of Ephesians. And in the first half, uh, we have uh, Paul talking about uh, the details in which God has worked in our lives, the way he has adopted us into his family, uh, adopted us into his kingdom, uh, and then united us as one family, the church. Uh, and then the next three chapters are all about what do we do now? How do we live in that? What do Christians act like? How do we, what do we do with this information? But sandwiched in between these two sections is this uh, incredible prayer uh, for the church. Uh, and so that's the first thing I want us to see today is the prayer. Uh, Paul opens up this passage with the phrase, for this reason. Uh, and so I don't know uh, if you've ever heard this, a popular preacher's phrase, but uh, if you ever see the word therefore in the Bible, you better figure out what it's there for. Have you ever heard that before? 
Uh, and so I think with a phrase like this, for this reason, we should have that same type of response. When you see uh, a passage in Scripture open up with something like that, for this reason, uh, we need to kind of back up a little bit to see what is this reason. What is the reason? Um, and so, uh, so, yeah, context is key. We need to find out what the context is, find out what is the reason that, that Paul begins this prayer. Uh, and so if you've noticed at the very start of chapter 3, you see that same phrase, for this reason. That's in chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, and so when you read this, it seems as though Paul is beginning to the prayer in chapter 3, uh, but then uh, to use another popular preaching phrase, he goes on what some call a holy rabbit trail. Uh, and so he needs to clarify a few things first, right? So he's getting ready to pray, but then he says, oh, wait, let me clarify a few things. Uh, and then in verse 14, he repicks up uh, where, he was, uh, where he originally started. And so then we have to go back even further then. We're like, okay, so what, what precedes chapter 3? Uh, and so what we see that precedes chapter 3 is two chapters of God's incredible grace. Uh, Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2 are just two full chapters of God's incredible grace. And Paul is just blown away. He's blown away uh, by the grace that God has shown uh, to sinners uh, as individuals. Uh, he's blown away by the grace that God has shown uh, to us uh, as a people to unite us corporately together. So he saved us individually and then has united us together corporately. God has raised us from death to life. He's provided for us an inheritance. We were once excluded, but now we are included in the family of God. We were outsiders, but now we are insiders because of what Jesus um, has done. Jesus tore down the dividing wall between us and God, and now we have access to him. And uh, 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 Ephesians three twelve and 13 kind of echo this fact where Paul uh, right before Paul resumes his original message, uh, he says in verse 12 and 13, uh, he says, In him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So then I ask you to not be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. And so we have access to God, uh, and we have, we have bold access. We can go to God in boldness. Uh, and this is the reason Paul says, for this reason, I pray, because of the incredible grace shown in the first two chapters and the fact that we have access to God, uh, that we can come before him boldly. Um, we so often neglect this incredible gift, right? Um, you know, at its core, prayer is an act of worship. Uh, and sometimes we tend to treat prayer almost like a vending machine of sorts, right? We just go um, trying to get goodies out of it, right? Uh, but we can see through this passage that Paul is clearly worshiping, right? And, and, and the result of this worship is this incredible prayer that we just read through starting in verse 14. You know, he's, he's spent time reflecting on the first two chapters that we just mentioned uh, and, and there's nothing else that he can do uh, but to fall down to his knees in worship. And so when is the last time that we had an experience like that? When's the last time that we were overwhelmed by the pure grace of God that we could do nothing else but just fall to our knees in worship? 
Um, Psalms 95 says this. Uh, it says, Come, let's worship and bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the sheep under His care. And so let that be us. Let us have that same mindset, that same attitude that, that Paul had, that the psalmist had, um, to worship God for His incredible grace and glory. You know, let us reflect on the, on the grace that God has shown uh, us individually and us as a, as a body of Christ and, and just let that overflow uh, in worship and gratitude. Um, and so, you know, we've seen now why Paul prayed and we see how Paul prayed. Um, and so now I want us to look at what Paul prayed. Uh, and so the first thing that Paul prays for, that these believers would be strengthened with power. Uh, I really love the word power that's used here. Uh, this is uh, a, a really a great term because the word power that's used here in its uh, original Greek, which I'm not going to try and pronounce to you because you'll laugh at me. Um, but it is the Greek word that we derive our English word for dynamite. Okay, so it's, it gives off uh, explosive, like violent power. Okay, that's, that's what we're talking about. And so I don't know if any of you guys are with me, but I love explosions. Like that's, it's just cool, right? Uh, anytime I'm on YouTube or something and I see a video with a title like, watch this thing explode in slow motion. Like I'm clicking on it every time. Um, I guess that's just how I am. But um, uh, and it kind of reminded me of a time when I was uh, a, a younger man, and uh, I had some friends, one of my friends who now works for NASA, and so he's kind of a smart guy, and he knows that, you know, if you concoct this thing together and put this thing in there and mix this thing in together and give it about 45 seconds, like, it's going to explode. Um, and so my friend had a, one of those big old box TVs, right? You remember those things? Uh, and they were trying to get rid of it, and so we were like, Let's blow it up. <laughs> uh, and so we, uh, uh, we spent the next week or so just trying to find all sorts of things. We found a couple more of those big TVs, a toilet, you know, a bathtub. Uh, and we just went out into my parents' uh, yard. They have about 40 acres, and so we went way on back there uh, and just spent a whole day blowing stuff up. And it was great. Uh, it was a lot of fun. No injuries, uh, just good times, but I still wouldn't suggest it. So, you know, I, let me... Put that disclaimer in there. Uh, your student pastor is not telling you to go blow stuff up for fun. Uh, don't <laughs> take it from me. Um, but anyways, but that's the kind of raw and just violent, explosive power that I think of when I read a passage like this. Okay, uh, you know, this is what Paul is praying for for the Ephesian church is that they would experience that type of power uh, in their lives, uh, in their inner being. Okay, and that that inner being that's important uh, because uh, the power of God in our inner being um, that's how we fight sin. That's how we proclaim the gospel to others. Uh, that's the way that we love. The way that Christ does um, is all in our inner being. Right? We're not capable capable of that on our own. Uh, we are only capable of that through the power. Uh, of God in our inner being. Uh, and Paul mentions this idea again in 2 Corinthians. He says that the outer person, um, our outer person is being destroyed and our inner person 
is being renewed. Uh, renewed how? Uh, we'll see here by Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith. Okay, so uh, Paul is praying for uh, God's power in our inner being uh, and for our inner being to be renewed. How? By, by Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith. Uh, and so this is the second thing that Paul prays for, um, and maybe this is probably more of a 1B than a, a separate number 2. Um, but he is praying uh, for Christ to dwell in their hearts through faith. Uh, and so if you're like me, you may have heard that and read that and thought it was a little strange for Paul to pray for a group of believers and ask for Christ to dwell in their hearts, right? Um, because, you know, we believe, and the Bible tells us, um, that when we believe uh, in Christ as our Savior, and we're saved by His grace and regenerated by the Spirit, that Christ is then already in our hearts, right? Christ is in our hearts at that moment. So why is Paul praying for Christ to dwell in their hearts um, to, for a group of believers, uh, and so I want to look at that word dwell, because I think this is an important word. I think we can, we can see a lot from this word. Um, because he could have used a word that just meant to inhabit or to be present. Um, but that's not the word he chose. He chose the word dwell. Um, and so uh, when we think about the idea that we get from this word dwell, we think of more of a permanent resident, right? Uh, a dwelling place would be sort of a permanent uh, place. Uh, you think of settling in at that point, right? Uh, and so just think about in terms of some, the difference between someone buying a house and renting a house, right? When you rent a house, um, you're not really going to do very much to it. Um, you know, you may not even bring all your furniture. I, I think about when I was living in a, a dorm room in college, like I didn't even bring any furniture. I just showed up with a pillow and that was it. And, uh, but now that we've bought a house here, I mean, we've, uh, renovated bathrooms, we've painted every single room in the house, you know, we moved in furniture, we brought in all these animals for some reason, and, <laughs> uh, and, but we live there, you know, we, um, we dwell there, you know, when you walk into that house, you say, you know, we can look at it and say, yeah, this is my home, this is where I belong, you know, we've settled in here, um, and so the same can be said for Christ dwelling in our hearts. You know, when Christ first moves into uh, a, a new believer's heart, I mean, he's got some work to do, right? He, he's got to clean up a little bit, clean up the trash. He's got to paint some rooms. You know, he's got to, uh, you know, make some repairs. Um, but, um, but Christ dwells in our hearts so that he can settle in. He can live there. He can rule our hearts, and so that we can reflect Him, um, and so I think that's why that word "dwell" is so important. It, it gives off a uh, a more permanent um, idea, you know, that Christ is not only in our hearts, but He rules our hearts. Um, he is a permanent resident in our hearts, uh, and so that is what Paul is praying for. He's so he's prayed for um, this for us or for the church to be strengthened by the power of God in our inner being. By the dwelling of Christ in our heart, uh, and then the next thing, so that we can grasp the fullness of God's love, uh, the length, the width, the height, and the depth of God's love. 
this might be my favorite portion of this passage. This is, uh, this is just so cool to me. Um, because when you read this, uh, it, it tells us that the love of Christ has dimensions and it can be measured. Um, and so Charles Spurgeon has a really great quote about this. He says, uh, to many religious people, the love of Jesus is not a solid, substantial thing. It is a fiction, a sentimental belief, a formal theory. But to Paul, it was a real, substantial, measurable fact. He had considered it this way and that way and the other way, and it was real to him despite what others might think. And so it was real to Paul, and it's real for us still today. Uh, and so I just want to quickly walk through uh, these dimensions that we see mentioned here. Um, the first one is width. The love of Jesus has width. Uh, when you think about a river, you can notice how wide a river is by noticing how much it, it covers. Okay, how much it covers. Uh, and so God's love is so wide that it covers our sin. It covers our every circumstance. It covers our entire life. Uh, and so that all things then work together for good. Uh, his love is as wide as the entire world. Um, you know, we know this because of that famous passage, John 3.16, um, for God so loved the world. Every ethnic group, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, Jew and Gentile, all covered by God's love, the width of God's love. Uh, the next one is length. The love of God uh, has length. Uh, and so when you think about length, um, I think about when did God's love start towards me? When did God start to love me? Uh, and how long will he continue to love me? Uh, and these are questions that help us measure the length of God's love. And in, the, in Jeremiah, um, we read that God has told us that he loved us before we were ever born. Uh, and in Jer Jeremiah 31, uh, he tells us that he loves us with an everlasting love. So he's loved us from eternity and will love us through eternity with an everlasting love. That is the length of God's love, is eternity. Uh, depth, the next one is de uh, depth. The love of Jesus has depth. Um, we even sang about this this morning, how deep the Father's love. Uh, I think Philippians 2, uh, verses 7 and 8, give us a really great picture of the depth of Jesus' love. Uh, Philippians 2, 7 and 8 says that he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You can't go any lower than death on the cross. That's as low as you can go. And that is how deep the love of Jesus is for us. Um, and then finally, height. The love of Jesus has height. Um, how do we measure the height, right? What is the height of God's love? Well, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, it tells us that uh, God's love lifts us to heavenly places where we are seated with Christ. Uh, he has raised us up together and he has uh, made us to sit together in heavenly places with Christ. Uh, so the, uh, the height of God's love is enough to carry us uh, to the heavens to be seated with Christ. Uh, and so how can we really comprehend this, right? I mean, how do we comprehend the width and the length and the depth and the heights of God's love? 
Um, there's a pastor named David Guzik, uh, and this is what he had to say on this passage. He said, uh, to come to any understanding of the dimensions of God's love, we must come to the cross. The cross pointed in four ways, essentially in every direction. Because God's love is wide enough to include every person. God's love is long enough to last through all of eternity. God's love is deep enough to reach even the worst sinner. And God's love is high enough to take us to heaven and seat us with Christ. Um, what an incredible passage. What an incredible passage. And the amazing thing is, uh, in, in verse 19, Paul says that this is knowable to us. We can know this. This is not uh, speculation. This is not just our emotion. We can know this. We can know this love that surpasses all knowledge. Um, it's not just a guess. You know, we can have confidence and know this. Uh, you know, you may hear people say um, about the Christian faith that it's based on something, well, you believe that, but you can't know that for sure. Um, but this is not true, right? The, the Bible makes it clear that we can know these things. Um, our faith is not based on speculation or emotion or just a wild guess. The Bible teaches us clearly that we can know these things. Uh, and so Paul has spent the last three chapters explaining um, God's truth. Uh, and now he wants us to fully know it, to understand it, to experience it. Um, because God's love is to not only be known, but is to be experienced. Uh, and so with that, we can easily you know, fall into two traps with that, right? We can either, um, you know, we can either know all the, all the correct answers, we can know all the right doctrine, uh, but, but still not walk with God fully. We can still uh, not completely give our lives to Him. We can know all the right things, um, but still fail to have a, a real relationship with Him. Uh, but on the opposite side of that, we can become too experience-driven, right? We, we, look at, we look for all the spiritual highs. We're just jumping from one spiritual high to another, um, just trying to create that emotional experience. Uh, and then we are neglecting to uh, know God's Word and to know His character and to truly know Him. Uh, and so either, either version of this leads us to wrong views of God and wrong um, uh, wrong ways of practicing our faith. Uh, and so, you know, Paul is telling us here in this passage, we, we need to find that middle area, right? We are to know God, and we are to experience God. Uh, and so, how do we do that? Uh, by the power of Christ dwelling in us, right? Uh, you know, Paul has asked for uh, God to fill these Christians uh, with uh, the, the power and the love of God, the fullness of God. Uh, and so when you, when you think about that word fullness, you know, he's asking for them to be filled to capacity uh, with Jesus. Uh, and so, you know, that is where we know and experience um, God, is when we, uh, when we have Christ dwelling in our hearts uh, and he fills us uh, to capacity with himself. Um, and we, we do that through, our, um, through getting to know him, right? We can't be ex too experience-driven. We can't, be, um, can't neglect the experience either. We have to know and experience God. And we do that through the power of the Spirit dwelling in us. 
Um, and so uh, finally, um, Paul ends this uh, section in verse 20 and 21 um, with, with just an incredible moment of praise, of doxology. Uh, just, um, you know, two verses of, again, just the uh, overwhelming praise that Paul is feeling in this moment. Um, just all coming out. Uh, and so uh, this is in verse 20 and 21. This is what it says. He says, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Um, and so... Uh, you know, as this prayer, you know, starting in verse 14 uh, up until this point, it's just continued to get bigger and bigger and bigger, right? Uh, he's prayed for the, the power of God to dwell in our hearts uh, so that we can know and experience the fullness of God. Um, and you think, well, what can be, <laughs> how can it keep going, right? How can it get bigger than this? Uh, you know, and, and it makes sense for us to read these things and just think, well, how does this even happen, right? How can this be? How can something so far above uh, us and our ability to think, uh, how can that be real? How can it happen? Um, and so it makes sense to have these questions when you read something like this. Uh, but the truth is it can only happen uh, because God is able to do far above and beyond what we are capable of, right? So we uh, he's able to do far above and beyond what we ask or can even think. Um, and so, like I said, I've, I love the way this keeps building on itself even to this point. You know, in verse 20, he says God is able. But not only that, he's able to do above and beyond. Uh, but not only that, but he's able to do above and beyond everything that we ask. But not only that, he's able to do everything above everything that we ask or even think. Uh, and so... Uh, it just keeps building and building. Uh, and so your translation may uh, use the phrase above and beyond. It may use the phrase exceedingly abundantly. And I, I really like that. Um, and Charles Spurgeon, again, has another great quote about this. He says that Paul, uh, in the Greek here, has constructed an expression that is altogether his own. Okay, so that means he just made it up. Uh, he says, no language was powerful enough for Paul, as he often has to coin words and phrases to bring forth meaning, uh, and here is one. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly, so abundantly that it exceeds all measure and description. Uh, and so God works so above and beyond, uh, so abundantly, exceedingly, uh, what we could ever Im imagine or dream of, uh, his works are greater than we could ever come up with uh, or sometimes more than we can even express through the language that we have. And we have to make up words uh, to describe uh, how big God is. Uh, and so, you know, it's easy, though, to, to understand how you can have trouble expressing that magnitude and have to make up words like this, um, especially in light of the first two chapters that we've talked about um, earlier. Every privilege, every blessing that Paul spoke about in the first two chapters so far in this letter, uh, it's no wonder that Paul has, is having these problems uh, putting together words to describe the magnitude of it. Um, because God, 
uh, is the one that raised Jesus from the dead. And he placed him as the head of the church. And he put all things under his feet. And so as a result of that, now uh, we have access to God through what Jesus did. And we are no longer bound by our sin, but we are free and alive in Christ. And so who, who can do that? Who can do such things? Um, only God. Only God can do those things. Um, because he can do far above and beyond anything that we ask uh, or can even think. Um, and so only he is the one that can bring these things to light. Uh, and so in verse 21, we see that, um, or uh, excuse me, in verse um, 20, still at the end of verse 20, uh, he goes to say that uh, all of this is according to that power that works in us, right? Uh, and so you think about what that looks like in our life. And you think about uh, people that we've read about uh, in the Bible, people like Abraham and Moses and David and Isaiah, uh, and then even guys like Peter and Paul himself, and then you know, all throughout history, uh, as the church has grown, you know, you think about the, the, uh, the people in church history um, all throughout time. And you see that God use, does extraordinary things by using ordinary people uh, by his power that's within them. Uh, and so Paul says that that's, that's how it's done, right? That's, that's where he, he does his work is in us. Um, he uses us uh, as his tools uh, for his glory. Uh, and so he uses ordinary people to ex uh, accomplish extraordinary things. Uh, and it's all for his glory. And so I think, you know, the only uh, fitting response uh, to this great God is to give him glory, uh, especially within the church. Right? And so this, this prayer should be uh, the prayer that all of us as believers share, that God would use our ordinary life for his glory. Um, and so that's my prayer, uh, that our prayer as a church would reflect this prayer um, that Paul just uh, gave to this Ephesian church, um, and that we would pray this for ourselves, we would pray this for uh, for the church all over the world. We would pray, pray this for believers all over the world. Um, and even more specifically, uh, that we would pray this uh, for our students that are going to Generate Camp this week. You know, pray for them this week that they would be strengthened by the power of God through Christ dwelling in their hearts so that they could comprehend the width and the depth and the length and the height of God's love that they would be filled with the fullness of God, that they would give their lives to him so that he could use them in ways that are above and beyond what they could have ever asked for or even imagined for themselves. And it'd be all for his glory forever. And so just as Paul said, this is the reason that we pray. And so let's go to him in prayer now. Uh, <laughs> Father, we... We come before you today just in, in complete and total um, awe and wonder uh, for your grace and your glory. Um, who can do these amazing things that we've talked about today? Only, only you. Uh, and so, God, we pray that you would strengthen us in your power, that you would fill us with your love uh, and use us for your glory. And we ask all these things in your son's name. 
Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bellevue Baptist Gadsden Podcast. We would love for you to join us on campus for worship Sunday mornings at 1045. We look forward to seeing you. Have a great week.